Hello and welcome to Try Talking Sport, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. You've come to the right place if you're looking for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and a little bit of entertainment. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, thanks for tuning in and being part of our adventure. I hope you have all been keeping well. It was a scorcher of a bank holiday in Galway over the past few days and I have loved getting up early to go out on my bike and get into the sea in my togs. Yep, no wetsuit. Surprising myself with both the fact that I am jumping out of bed at 6.30am to go training early in the morning, which to be honest, I was never any good at. And the fact that I've started getting into Galway Bay for a swim without a wetsuit. Yep, dipping in skins. Maybe not a big deal for many of you tuning in, but this is a big milestone for me. And sometimes all you have to do is take one small step to move forward by many miles. The highlight of all of this, of course, is having the time to relax after the sessions to enjoy a coffee in Salt Hill and savour the time to just chat and chill, all socially distanced, of course. With so many events cancelled over the next few months due to COVID-19, it's a difficult situation personally and professionally. But in every cloud, there is a silver lining. We just need to find it. For me, I've stopped rushing around and have embraced a slightly slower pace of life. I've caught up on lots of the jobs that have been on my to-do list for months and have also taken the opportunity of this extra time usually spent working to enjoy training and focus on potential new opportunities and adventures for the future. There is a long road ahead to get back on track generally, but finding the positive, even if it's only a little thing, in the midst of all that is going on in the world today is, I believe, very important. This is episode 30 of the podcast, another reason to be positive. We have celebrated our first birthday and are continuing to grow in reputation and numbers of listeners. Thanks to everyone for tuning in who got in touch over the past few weeks to congratulate us on our milestone birthday. And congratulations to Eric Kelly, winner of the Try Talking Sport Bobble Beanie Hat and entry to the Wild Atlantic Way 500k Summer Virtual Challenge. You may have noticed I've taken a little break from the live Facebook sessions, but we'll be back with more great guests and insightful chats. So keep an eye on the Try Talking Sport Facebook page for more details. Now to today's episode with Ruth Purbrook, who, after being crowned the overall age group Ironman World Champion in Kona last year, has taken the brave move to commence her career as a professional athlete. Due to COVID-19, she hasn't had the start to her professional career that she was expecting back in late 2019, but nonetheless, the talented champion athlete is as motivated and committed as ever to getting fitter, faster and stronger. Her journey and success in triathlon has been matched by her success in her career with Lloyds, both of them going hand in hand with many hours of consistent work and dedication. Taking up triathlon in 2013, she has excelled as an athlete, with 2019 being one of her biggest years in the sport and also a roller coaster of a year with injury lows, racing highs and big life changes and decisions. Nonetheless, Ruth encapsulates the epitome of working hard to chase big goals. Committed, dedicated and passionate about her sport, there is no stopping her. And I think we can undoubtedly expect to see her breaking the tape and topping the podium of races as a professional athlete for many years to come. Enjoy the episode. We had lots of fun recording it, despite some initial sound issues, but there were plenty of laughs along the way and this is a cracker of a conversation with an incredible athlete and ambassador for the sport of triathlon. Ruth, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. We're recording this on a dull Monday in Galway, but it looks like an absolutely <laughs> stunning day in the UK and you're chilling in the back garden. Yeah, it's lovely here. Um, yeah, I think we had actually not a very nice weekend, but 
the weather's picked back up and it feels like summer again. So taking advantage and working on the tan. Working on the tan instead of working <laughs> on the training, which is nice, of yeah. course, because now you are a full-time professional athlete. You've moved across from the age group ranks uh, late in 2019, kind of start of 2020. So how has life been as a professional athlete to date? Very different, <laughs> I'm sure, to what you thought it would be. Yeah, it's definitely been a bit different to how I imagined my first year. Um, but I think in some ways there's many positives. So I think things have felt way more relaxed. So I I went down to two days a week working in January uh, so that I would have more time to train and to recover and to sleep. And I guess I did have quite a few races lined up for this year and the aim was to try and get back to Kona as a pro. Um, but actually kind of not having any of those races it, it just sort of takes takes all the pressure off to be honest and I guess from my perspective it gives me actually more time to work on all my weaknesses get better get fitter get stronger for when racing actually starts again so yeah I miss racing it's not the year that I thought it was going to be but you know I think you've just got to try and find positives um, and yeah I think hopefully it means that I can start racing more as a pro in, in a better position than I would have done had I started racing uh, at the end of March. And I'm going to come right back to when you started out in triathlon routes. You were the overall age group champion in Kona in 2019 and had a phenomenal uh, race out in Kona. But I want to come right back to how you got into triathlon and where that mm. road has led you to today. I did my first triathlon in 2013 it was actually with work uh, with Lloyd's they had a few charity places for the London triathlon at the time I was training for the Berlin marathon and I was pretty bored of just running and like, I'd done a little bit of swimming when I was younger like nothing like nothing serious at all but you know I could swim and I guess I had a lot of cousins that were into cycling so I'd done a little bit of cycling post uni so I thought oh yeah triathlon that could that could be something fun to try kind of you know I can do all the three sports separately so yeah I gave it a go it went quite well I really enjoyed it I enjoyed having the kind of different bits of training to do I played a lot of hockey all through school and uni and I really enjoyed having that kind of competitive outlet and I guess when I started work in London I sort of missed that so I then looked to join my local triathlon club and also it seemed like quite a good way of kind of finding some new friends, having something social as well. Uh, so yeah, then joined my local tri club and it, it all kind of went from there because then you start hearing about all the different races that people are doing. So for us, the thing that was quite big that I started with was all of the London League races, which are all quite local, all kind of shorter distances. And I started doing all of those. And then I heard about people doing the sort of GB age group stuff. And I was like, I definitely want to try and do that. Uh, being very competitive, I was like, I want to be able to race the, the best people and kind of see where I can get to. So then it all, yeah, it all just kind of spiralled from that one race that I got a charity place for. So talk us through your career in triathlon then, Ruth, because you've been to Kona a couple of times. You were the 25 to 29 age group champion in 2018. You were also the age group champion in Roth of last year as well. But before all of that and before you really started to show form, where did all of that success come from in triathlon? <laughs> Um, so I think I've always been a bit more of a sort of diesel engine and more of an endurance than a speed athlete. Um, but I also, the thought of doing anything long at the beginning seemed like, far too scary. Like when I first joined the club and people were talking about Ironman, I was like, that's just ridiculous. Like, who are these crazy people? That's such a long way. I don't know how you could ever do that. Um, so, you know, very much stuff 
connected with doing the GB age group stuff. So I went to, um, I did the duathlon champs in Alcabendas, uh, I think it's about 2015, potentially. Yeah, because I think 2014 was my first year of kind of starting to do any kind of racing post that first race. And then 2015, I was like, right, now I know which races I need to do to try and qualify for the GB stuff. So when I did the duathlon champs, I came third in my age group and I was like, okay, this is, and that, that was the day that it was horrendous weather. It was like pouring with rain. Loads of people got pulled off with hypothermia. Loads of people crashed because it was in this little town with loads of roundabouts. So like, and because it's those nice smooth roads that in Spain, it's like every roundabout was just lethal. Um, but that that was good fun. Um, and I also managed to qualify for the Chicago Triathlon Championships that year. Um, went out and did that, and you know, just it was pretty average and was kind of looking at the times that people were running for their 10Ks and can't see myself getting that fast. Um, and that year I'd also done my first sort of slightly longer triathlon. I went and did Alp Duez, the sort of standard one, which is, I guess, a bit longer than a half Ironman. It's just got a longer bike. And I'd done all right there and just quite enjoyed that that longer distance. So I guess 2016, I started doing 70.3s and went to Australia for the 70.3 World Champs where I came third, I think, in my age group. Um, and from there, I, I then thought, you know, I'd heard more about Kona and it seemed like this really magical thing. So even though I wasn't really that convinced about doing an Ironman at that point, I just thought, well, Kona seems to be this really special place. Um, and if all these people in my club can do an Ironman, then, you know, I must be able to do one. Um, so let's kind of go and give it a go it's 2017 was my first Ironman I went and did Lanzarote partly because I thought it might be a bit easier to qualify for Kona there with not as many people doing it and also because I was like well if I am going to go to Kona I want to have done um a kind of harder Ironman so that you know Kona doesn't seem like a massive shock system and it, it was absolutely like Lanzarote was horrendous I don't know what happened I think either I ate something a bit funny or I maybe over carb loaded a bit but I kind of I wasn't really feeling great right from the start um I was sick in the swim coming out of the swim <laughs> um which is a shame because I actually I was quite enjoying the swim um you know it's that beautiful clear water it wasn't too rough and even though there was a bit of fighting because it was still mass start when I did it um I actually quite enjoyed the swim other than <laughs> not feeling very well Got out onto the bike. It was a kind of normal Lanzarote day. So quite windy, but nothing stupid. Um, within like the first hour, I had to find a little bush for the toilet stop. And then kind of picked up a bit and the bike was going all right. And then I got to about 140k. Had a bit of a bonk. Um, and by this point, like it should have been tailwind. Because that's when we'd basically gone all the way up one side of the island into the headwind and then turned around and come down that lovely descent and the wind obviously changed direction <laughs> uh so then I got headwind again I was like oh my god this is just horrendous um so kind of struggled back into T2 and then got out to the run and it was like the run was just portaloo to portaloo really just <laughs> awful really awful and the whole way around I was just thinking <laughs> why does anyone do this? Like, this is just a terrible idea. I thought Lanzarote would suit me because I didn't want to do a flat one where people can draft on the bike because the bike was my strength. So I wanted hilly and hard so that um, 
you know, so it got broken up and there weren't these big draft packs going around. And I also thought it's quite similar conditions to Kona. So, you know, if I if I can perform well in Lanzarote, then it's a good sign for Kona. Anyway, I managed I managed to come third in my age group somehow. Um, clearly shows how few women were racing. And thankfully, the lady that won it already had a Kona slot and the lady that came second didn't want to go. So I managed to get my Kona slot from that awful race. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to take it because obviously that was kind of my aim for the year. I just joined Team Free Speed and they were quite keen on people going to Kona. So I was like, I'll take it. And, you know, I've got a few months to kind of work out what went wrong and, and try and make it better. And, you know, at least in Kona, it kind of shouldn't be as bad <laughs> as Lanzarote's been. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I got quite lucky and I don't know what I would have done had I not got that slot. Because I think part of me still had this idea in my head if I really want to go to Kona. But then the thought of doing another Ironman to then try and get to Kona, I think, was not that appealing at all at that point. <laughs> So did you do another Ironman between Lanzarote and Kona in 2018? No, no, no absolutely no. not. I think I did a couple of 70.3s um, and they went better. Uh, but yeah, I because I, I think there's what, there's like four or five months in between them. Um, so you need a good few weeks to chill out and let your body recover. And yeah, it didn't seem like there was really enough time. And it's also very expensive. I mean, obviously Kona's expensive on its own doing an Ironman generally is expensive uh, so I was like I'll save my money for Kona. <laughs> and did you um, ever um, figure out what happened to you that you had such uh, huge um, GI issues in Lanzarote? Was it something you ate the day before or had you a bug or what was it? Yeah honestly I'm not sure I think it was a combination of I think I over carb loaded the day before because um, I think I was so nervous about the whole thing that I just... <laughs> went a bit extreme and and had probably about 500 grams of carbs um and then I think I also swallowed quite a lot of salt water and I think I I think that's something that you kind of get a bit more used to because I'm I still because I'm not very good at breathing when I swim I still swallow quite a lot of salt water when I'm swimming um but it doesn't seem to affect me as much so I think probably the combination of that probably a little bit of nerves because it's my first one probably all of that together combined just made it not very good so yeah yeah a tough day at the office no doubt and even and Lanzarote is a tough tough race as well Uh, so that definitely set you up for a a good day on the hot island in 2018 and going into Kona then um having it only being your second Ironman to come away with the age group win uh 25 to 29 must have been incredible as well uh so that first year actually I was third oh you were Um, third sorry that was 2017 wasn't it it was 2017 okay yeah and and honestly, like, I think actually having a bad race at Lanzarote was probably the best preparation for Kona because it meant I had no pressure, no expectations. I literally just wanted the day to be better than Lanzarote. So my Which wouldn't thing, have been hard. <laughs> no, exactly. So my main thing was like, I just want to, I don't want to have to run from Portaloo to Portaloo. I want to be able to enjoy the marathon a little bit. Um and just generally try and have a, a you know a good time and, and soak up the atmosphere. So kind of yeah, coming away with third was was great. And I think I was the tenth age grouper overall. So I kind of from that point I was like, okay, well for my second Ironman, that, that's pretty good. Um, and obviously that fueled the fire to go back and win. Um, and Ruth, were you being coached at the time? Then I know you were part of Team Free Speed yes. at that time. But had you a coach before that? 
Yeah, so I started with my coach, Will Clark, in 2015, uh, just before I did Outdoers, actually. So, yeah, so by this point, he'd obviously um, been sort of giving me tips and advice. He'd obviously made that transition up to Ironman. But, yeah, he was, he like, he's been a huge part of my success. I think, you know, him, my starting coaching with him kind of coincided with when I started to get much better. Cause I think up to that point, I was just kind of, doing club sessions, picking out the bits that I liked and not really doing <laughs> what I didn't like. Uh, I think one of the first things Will said was like, okay, you need to swim more. It's like, yeah, that's <laughs> probably, probably true. Um, but he then, I think, you know, the main thing for me is that he was then very good at phasing all of my training. So it'd be that, you know, you build, you build, you recover a bit, you build up, um, and then the thing that we've managed to, I think, refine a bit more over the last kind of three years is then that sort of tapering into races, um, which I think has, you know, kind of got to quite a good point now. So, yeah, he like he's been a huge part for me, especially through all those years when doing it as an age grouper when I was so busy. Like the last thing I wanted to think about was what training am I meant to do and try and put any kind of science behind it. So, um, yeah, he's been you know, probably the biggest part of my success, really. And of course, you were working 50, 60, 70 hours a week before you went pro. So during that time mm. when you were training for Kona in 2017, your workload plus your training load must have been massive. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's something that I've always been, I think I've always been one of those people that generally quite likes having a bit of pressure and and, and being busy. Like I think, you know, I actually used to really, uh, yeah, I used to quite enjoy the fact that I was really busy at work and I had all this training and I, you know, and I was managing to kind of juggle it. Yeah, you know, I guess there's part of me that felt quite proud that I was able to kind of do that. Um, but I think that, you know, I definitely kind of reached the limit by the end of last year of, of how long I would have been able to, to keep that going. Um, I read something say. crazy where you in the Telegraph newspaper and I read something crazy <laughs> where you used to get out of bed at 4.30 in the morning and be yeah. on your bike at 4.45. I mean, that is the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. But that felt quite normal. Um, but it's not sustainable, though, long term. No, def like, definitely, definitely not. Um, even, even if you weren't doing all of the training, it's not mm, sustainable to, no. to, be, to be getting up at that hour of the morning to, to do anything. No. And I think that is where actually Will played a huge part in kind of, I guess, keeping it as sustainable as it could be throughout that period. So like, I would have quite a lot of rest weeks um, and he would try and make sure generally the training was quite like short and specific where it could be. So that, you know, like limiting the amount of times I had to get up at 4.30. Um, but I guess like the other thing to kind of balance that out a bit I'm, I'm definitely a morning person rather than evening person so I'd rather be up at 4 30 and get stuff done and then be in bed by like 9 30 10 than do it the other way around I've got quite a lot of friends who would happily go and do a run or a turbo at like nine o'clock at night I, like definitely not I, like, I cannot do that I want to be having my mug of hot chocolate and be thinking about bed at that point so um so how organized did you need to be <laughs> to get your life working like clockwork to facilitate that heavy, heavy workload plus all of your, I presume you were doing between 18 and 22, 23 hours a week of, of training on top of that workload. Uh, I think actually most of my age group time I was doing sort of 15 to 20 um, and 20 would be like the couple of big weeks in, in the run up to an Ironman. So probably on average like 15 to 17 um, with quite a big chunk being done at, at the weekend. Um 
but yeah I think that's where you know again having the coach to plan it all out really helped I wouldn't have been able to to think about that um but I just got very good at doing things very efficiently so you know it'd be stuff like I'd be on the turbo and then I'd use my commute to work as my cool down. I got very good at kind of showering and getting dressed in about five, 10 minutes. Um, and it's all the kind of little thing, you know, stuff like I then have breakfast at my desk and like loads of little things to, to try and make life a bit easier. But I think in it, and again, I've, I've now got to a point where um, I actually I had a conversation with my new boss for this new role that I'm doing um, and she kind of said because you're doing stuff on two days a week she's like oh you, I think you should try and plan stuff a bit more and you know try and think about exactly what it is because I guess like the whole thing's been such a change in terms of getting used to a a new role b trying to do it on two days a week and juggle it around training um, and I kind of said to her I was like that's really funny because honestly that like that used to be me so much in terms of like I planned everything I was like super organized I'd have like spreadsheets on everything and, like all sorts and I've kind of since January kind of gone to the other extreme and like oh I don't need to do that and it's been it has been really nice having the kind of mental break from that um but like she's definitely right from that work perspective I kind of need to get a bit a bit more back into it um because she was like I'm sure you do that for your training I was like yeah I absolutely do but it's just quite funny because I've been so used to doing that for everything um that it was then quite nice to kind of really not do that um so yeah, but I need I need to get a bit more back into that. I think. But the the break probably did you the world of good as well to kind mm. of see the other side of of what life could be like if you were full time full time at professional yeah. triathlon. And I, I know you had planned. I think was it just to do one day per week when you went from age grouper to, to yeah. professional athlete, and and it's just the way that things have panned out now with the with COVID. Um. So in terms of your training now, Ruth, as a professional mm. athlete as opposed to in age group, what's what's different? I think the main difference is having time to recover between sessions. That definitely makes a big difference. Do you um, still get up at 4.30 in the morning? <laughs> I have not got up. Well, I've had a couple of mornings where I've woken up around 6, just because I've woken up, but I've not purposely got up for 7.30 <laughs> since January, I think, um, which has been, you know, 7, o- 7 o'clock now feels early, which is ridiculous, because that used to be the time I was sat at my desk starting work, so um that's that's a big change in terms of time of when I do stuff yeah I think also probably the thing that has taken a while to adapt to is also then not trying to like cram everything into the morning I think it's quite like age group mindset of like try and get all your training ticked off and then you're kind of free for the afternoon that's something that I still have to kind of think about a little bit in terms of no like you've got all day and it's better to space out get a bit good bit of chill time and and give your body a chance to rest a bit before then doing your next session. And then I think the other thing is just time to, to do the stuff that I really wasn't very good at before, like gym, trying to do a bit of stretching. And yeah, like all the kind of little things that previously, like ev- pretty much every week I'd sack gym off because like something else would come up. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not sure gym does that much. And it's the one that I least enjoy. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I think I think 90% of the athletes would agree with you on that as well in terms mm. of they'll have no problem doing the swim cycle and run park, yeah. but give them foam rolling or stretching or core. And it's like, ah, oh, no, that's no good. Nah. And like, you know, the, the stuff that makes us stronger is actually that basic functional 
physical movement activity. And, and have you changed your bedtime routine now? Are you still going to bed at 10 o'clock and getting extra sleep? Or are you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Not so, I'm, I'm, yeah. Like normal night sleep now is about eight, nine hours. It's great. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's a lot it's not I think it's almost too much it's probably making up go on I'm not sure I feel much better for it to be honest it's probably (laughs) making up for all the years of of sleep that you didn't get but uh, but how were you able to recover you know from some of the harder training sessions when you are putting your body through that early like I mean it's it is the middle of the night half four is the Mm. middle is the middle of the (laughs) night you know that circadian rhythm must have been all over the place you know um so how would you recover from those hard heavy sessions and I know you mentioned you you got a lot of hours done at the weekend when you were working full-time but you must have been very fatigued yeah and, and I was like I would get to the end of a week and be knackered you know like Friday would be a kind of zombie roof trying to get through the day um honestly I probably wasn't really recovering that well and I think that's where I actually think last year probably one of the reasons that I did so well at Kona was because I had the crash and I had that enforced rest sort of 12 weeks before because I think you know otherwise I would have just trained as normal probably had that underlying level of fatigue and potentially not managed to race as well whereas the crash meant that I had sort of three weeks of not really doing anything like I started turbo quite soon after it but you know in terms of break from running and generally just being able to sleep and chill out at home and not having to commute into the office that I think you know it kind of shows how important recovery is but yeah I think you know generally I probably just wasn't really recovering that well um, and that was part of the reason why when I was thinking about turning pro, I was like, well, I need to reduce the work so that I get that recovery. Because I think any pro that you talk to, especially one that's been an age grouper, says that difference in performance is usually recovery and sleep. Mm. I want to talk about last year, but we've kind of skipped over 2018, <laughs> which was also another very good, mm. a good year for you. But I think we will skip ahead to 2019 because it was an incredible year again for you. You were injured, I think, was it going into Challenge Roth? Mm. Uh, and then you had the crash after it. Yeah. So talk us through the prep for Roth then, because you had, a, was it a calf injury or was it more serious? Yeah, I had a bit of a stress reaction in my shin. Um, and I think this is, again, where that whole thing about recovery, you know, it was clearly my body trying to say slow down a little bit. But yeah, I had that in April. So I had sort of six weeks of no running kind of mid-April to nearly the end of May, which basically gave me like a month of running before Roth. And kind of like Roth, I was... I was so excited for it. It was on my 30th birthday. I'd obviously heard loads of great stuff about the atmosphere, the race. Um, I knew it was a fast course. uh, And I was kind of like, you know, if everything goes really well, I should be able to get under nine hours. Um, And, you know, then I would have been like the first age grouper to do sub nine Ironman. And that obviously would have been really cool. Um, And yeah, like generally like training would be going really well until that point in April. And it was one of those, you know, classic things. I had a bit of a niggle. Something didn't quite feel right. I obviously just kept training. So I was like, oh, it's fine. Um, And then like it actually started being quite sore. I was like, okay, no, I've definitely done something. Went and saw physio and they were like, yeah, you've got this. Uh, actually, I had a scan as well, actually, because I wanted to check it wasn't a proper fracture. And they were like, no, it's just a reaction. Thank God, because it meant that then I just needed that six weeks off. So, yeah, I think 
definitely I could feel uh, at Roth because I had I had my best swim um I think again it's like you're in the canal there's lots of people to draft off I've got a nice pack so that was my first sub hour Ironman swim which is great um and then on the bike I had a great bike I had the new bike from the Zwift Academy the new Shiv which is super fast and the bike had gone really well so I knew I was in a really good position coming onto the run and again like the first point like 10k of the run I was like I feel great it was running really well I was like I'm really on track here to get my sub nine and then everything just kind of fell apart a bit and I think a lot of that was due to not having really been able to do any of the long runs in the run-up and part of it also I think mentally I struggled a bit because uh, you basically you run along the canal and you run like a little bit down and then you turn around and you get this long stretch I think it's about 15 to 20k going up the canal and it was like straight into a headwind and it was just like this is not fun at all um so I struggled a bit on that actually I started walking at one point um I thought it must have been about 25k or so and thankfully I saw someone that I knew and they're a bit like what are you doing (laughs) what's Ruth doing walking (laughs) and and at that point I was a bit like I I think most people probably have this at some point in Ironman where you're like I'm not sure I'm going to finish this because it just seems like such a long way still and yeah anyway but having seen this guy I was like yeah what am I doing like this is ridiculous it's it's my birthday I need to I need to finish this race um and that was where Roth was incredible because basically every town where they had the support sections set up the commentators were calling out that it was my birthday so every little stretch uh going through a town bit they were all singing happy birthday to me they're like shouting at me and it was it was amazing. So it was it's definitely like one of the best atmospheres that I've raced in. And, you know, I, I had an all right race. I came in in 9-12, I think, you know, as first age grouper. So considering how bad I felt on the run for most of it, um, actually I did all right. I'm still a bit annoyed that I didn't really have the chance to try and get that sub nine. But, you know, it'll, it'll come at some point. Um, but yeah, like generally Roth was incredible. Um, and that made me quite excited then for Kona. So I was like, okay, if I can do this in broth, having had that break from the running, you know, I've now got like four months to get ready and, and get really fit and really strong for, for Kona. So yeah, I was definitely feeling on a big high post-Roth. It must have been um, a real big boost to your confidence as well, considering mm. how bad you felt on the run. Um, I mean, it must have psychologically set you up to know that, hey, I'm on a great streak here now. Yeah, definitely. And I think I kind of... Probably in the back of my mind, I kind of knew that I was capable of having a, a good performance like that. Um, but yeah, to kind of have it reinforced was was pretty good. Um, and yeah, it generally just made me think, right, that age group win in Kona is now sort of mine to lose. Um, you know, as long as I can just keep on track and, and keep plugging away at the training, um, I should be able to just turn up and, and if I can put together a good race, then I should be able to win. And of course, we skipped over 2018 where you were the age group champion for 25 to 29. So that was October 2018. So July 2019, you were rising on high, 30th birthday celebrations, overall age group were in rot. This was mm. Ruth's year. She was going to be making a mm. final decision about going pro. And then what happened? Uh, so then it was actually the first, my first proper bike ride back from having had a couple of weeks of chilling out post Roth. Um, and I went out with a couple of my guy friends and it was a really beautiful day. And Will had actually just put in my plan, like just do like 45k, keep it really chilled. But it was so beautiful. I was like, oh, the guys are going for a longer ride. I'm going to keep with them and do and do the longer ride. Um, and we were just coming into 
on our approach to Windsor to have our cafe stop, obviously very important, going down the straight road and a car came towards us and just pulled across us. So my friend at the front went straight into the car. The guy behind him managed to just kind of like swerve around and stay upright. And I was trying to do the same, but he, the friend that had gone into the car basically was coming back over the other side. So I went oh, to him as he came onto the ground probably made his injuries worse because I think I then like crashed into him as well so then you know the next thing I knew I'm just like smack bang on the floor and I went to sit up and as I sat up I was like that's my collarbone like I knew straight away I was like I can feel it it just that's broken and then a couple of people came over and I kind of looked down at the floor and I was like oh, I can see some like blood dripping uh, and they were like yeah you need to keep your helmet on I was like do I and they were like yep yeah, you got a lot of blood coming out of your face. I was like, oh, God, okay. Because I hadn't really noticed that because all, all I think about that point was like, that's my collarbone. I'm meant to be doing Nice in five weeks and Kona in 12 weeks. Um, that's it. It's like basically that's my season done. But then I kind of, then I wasn't really thinking about that so much because then I could hear my friend James, the one that gone into the car, like he was clearly in a lot of pain. So I was like, and I'd seen how fast he'd gone into that car. So then I was worrying about him. And then the ambulance came and they took us away and we got to the hospital. They kind of confirmed that uh, that my collarbone was broken. Um, and by this point, I'd then seen my face and I had this... <laughs> basically, I had blood all over my face. So at that point, I wasn't entirely sure what I'd done, but I was like, it's not looking great. Uh, <laughs> I sent a picture to my uh, to my sort of family WhatsApp group and they were just, uh, what is this? Um, so anyway, managed to get back cleaned up and I basically had this like massive like gash in my cheek here that um, was, uh, was really gross, actually. It was like quite deep. And I kind of nicked the top of my ear off a little bit. But actually, other than that, it was one of those, because your head bleeds so much, it looked like way worse than it it actually was. And then everything else was fine. So actually, I was quite lucky. Initially, when they looked at my collarbone, the guys at that hospital were like, oh, you just, you don't need surgery on it. It's just one little break. You'll be fine. Obviously, I'd watched Lucy Gossage's uh, videos about her collarbone when she did hers just, she was, what, like seven weeks before coming Mm. ridiculous um so I was a bit like I need to get a second opinion and I need to see whether surgery is a good option um and thankfully when I went and got the second opinion he was like yeah your collarbone's actually broken in like three places so you definitely need surgery I was like okay I'm glad that I came and checked that um I had to wait for 10 days to get the surgery because I had such bad road rash on the back and also because my face so he was like I don't want to operate until that's healed a bit because of infection and that I mean that 10 days again I I was looking back at some of Lucy's videos from it and I honestly have no idea how she did some of what she was doing like she went swimming before her operation one-armed I could barely walk like everything was so uncomfortable because you can just feel the bone like moving around and it oh so anyway I was like well I'm gonna take a week of kind of nothing uh kind of walked around a little bit because it was actually really nice weather because it was obviously july so again i like, took the opportunity to sort of chill out eat a lot of chocolate walk um and you know i just got to the point of the pain being manageable and being off the painkillers and then i went and had the surgery and that day after the surgery i was like oh god i feel like i've gone like 10 steps backwards um because everything was then so sore again but thankfully that just lasted a day and then actually the the recovery from it was was really quick. I was back on the turbo maybe like two days after that. And I managed to start running, I think like another 10 days after that, like, you know, slow jogging. But I was quite lucky in that 
it seemed all right with that whereas I've got some friends that have had similar injuries and who couldn't run for like three four weeks so I think I was, I was lucky in that regard yeah obviously my <laughs> my biggest concern for Kona was that I couldn't swim um because my swim is not my strong point anyway uh, and I was like well I've you know I'm having this enforced time out of swimming and you have to wait so I had to wait at least four weeks post the operation because you can't move it above 90 degrees to help it all kind of set and knit in. I tried to do a few one-arm swims, but honestly, I was like, A, it's really boring. B, I'm not really sure it's doing very much um, <laughs> other than being, you know, quite nice to be in a swimming pool. But actually, I feel like I just look like such an idiot. <laughs> and probably quite frustrating as well because you can't yeah. really swim. No. Yeah. And so I, you know, I had a few chats with Will. I was like, I'm not sure it's doing because he he had been like, I'm not sure we should bother. It's probably not going to do much. He was like, mentally, if you feel you want to go and do that, go and do it. But he was like, uh, so I kind of said after a couple, I was like, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think this is, <laughs> I don't think this is really doing anything. So yeah, like that whole, I think that whole time is quite, quite frustrating because again, it's like, I felt like I was at such a good <laughs> level of fitness and such a good base to then build up to Kona but yeah so at that point I was like right I've I've just got to write off that age group win um you know it's probably not going to happen I've just got to go back and enjoy Kona and and kind of just see what I can do which actually you know I think again was a good approach to have and it it meant that I took a lot of the pressure off myself and also being part of the Zwift Academy that actually you know took a lot of their pressure off me as well because kind of the expectation was just kind of gone which was quite helpful so how did it feel then crossing the finish line in Kona after that whole aspect, uh, you know, the surgery, the crash, the rest period, being part of the Zwift team and then knowing that you'd actually nailed it on race day in Kona to come away with that win? Yeah, I had that that finish line feeling was probably the best one. It just, I think because I've been thinking about trying to get that age group win, like basically for that last three years. Um, and I've been quite public about saying this is what I'm going for. So I think probably the first thing was relief of <laughs> like, thank God I've done it. Um, and then, yeah, just complete, yeah, I think just complete joy, really, that I'd actually, you know, managed to put together a good race, managed to prove that, you know, I thought, because also for me, I'd, like, I was probably always going to go pro for this year anyway, even if Kona had been an absolute disaster. I think, you know, I'd got to a point of feeling like I'd kind of done everything I could do in the in the age group world. But I guess then getting that good result as well felt like, OK, it kind of validates me going pro and makes me feel like it's definitely the right position and that I'm kind of good enough to, to go and compete at that level. So, yeah, kind of a mixture of all sorts of emotions. Um, and made better as well by the fact that then a couple of my Zwift teammates also did really well. I think then having that kind of team feeling and being able to celebrate with them and, and you know, it definitely makes it better than it just you kind of celebrating on your own. And, <laughs> and talk to us about mm. the Zwift Academy routes. Mm. It looks like one of the coolest things on the planet. Yeah, the whole thing was just kind of like a dream like the support the kit just everything so it kind of obviously there was like the selection process and then we went out um it was actually just over a year ago I had a little reminder pop up on, on Facebook and we went out to the um the specialized headquarters um and uh you know we got kind of given all our kit we met with the team we met Tim Don and Sarah True um and yeah it was just that week was amazing and kind of set the whole thing up 
And then I think the experience in Kona also is just, you know, we're getting better support than pretty much all the pros there, other than the very top ones. We had these like four houses in this little complex where we all stayed. All our food was cooked. We had a bike mechanic. Sounds like heaven. It was like (laughs) incredible. And like the only bad thing about it is any time I go back to Kona, it's not going to be as good as that. Um, So, but yeah, like that whole, I think there's definitely, you know, it made everything so much easier that kind of everything was done for us. That definitely, you know, helps in the run up to the big race, takes the pressure off some of the small things. Um, And then also having that kind of team around. I really enjoyed that. I think there's some people that probably wouldn't like that as much. But for me, I'm generally quite chilled out going into races. So having people to kind of chat to and and stuff like that. Um, And also I went out without family last year. So again, it was nice to kind of have people around. So yeah, I think for obviously this year, they've not been able to do it because of COVID. But I'd say heading into next year, like anyone who, you know, is thinking about trying to go to Kona, uh, you should definitely apply for the Swift Academy because it's just, yeah, the whole thing is incredible. And was there good camaraderie between the group of you on the Swift team? Uh, and was there a good competition mm-hmm. as well? Because obviously the competitive, I mean, you're very competitive. Uh, we wouldn't be doing triathlon if, if we mm-hmm. weren't and you wouldn't be where you are today if you weren't competitive. But presumably everybody else on the Swift team was also very competitive. So was there a good bit of banter as well within mm-hmm. the team and um, and support for each other, which I presume there was? Yeah, I felt like... Um... I felt there was, there was really good support and there was also some quite good banter. I think, um, yeah, it was like, it, it was, like, there was definitely a bit of tension at points. I think, um, you know, I kind of felt like there was one lady in particular, Maggie, who uh, they'd been bidding up and chatting about. Um, and she was, I think she was the one that they basically expected would win the age group race and be well up there well up there with all the pros um she unfortunately had a stress fracture leading into it so hadn't really been able to run still managed to come like second in her age group and like she's amazing um and she will be amazing i'm sure so i kind of felt like well she's got all the pressure on her um obviously i wanted to beat her but she was the one that i was using as my kind of gauge during the race she's a really good swimmer so i was basically like if i can catch her in the first half of the bike i'll know i'm doing quite well because she's like she's kind of strong across everything, but in particular a really good swimmer. So I knew she'd be near the front of the race. Um, so I caught her at about 50k. So at that point I was like, okay, I think that I should be somewhere near, near the front of the race now. Um, but yeah, generally, like I'd say probably Natia is the one that I kind of got on with the best. Generally, as kind of a friend. Um, she's also gone pro this year, uh, and we still chat a lot. So, but I think like generally, I think. With the boys, I don't know whether there was, I think there was maybe a little bit more competition there than kind of camaraderie, especially because two of them were in the same age group, which I think was a bit of a mistake from, <laughs> from the team perspective. Um, but yeah, it's great. You know, like I think generally speaking, most of us were kind of going out in little groups, going for like coffees and like there was, and there was really good support. I think, you know, there was obviously some of us that had been to Kona a few times and could kind of help give a bit more thought on like the course and, and things to think about and then there were some people that were like very new to Ironman as well as Kona um so it was like quite a good balance I think and quite a good balance of kind of different characters as well so yeah it was good and of course Ruth we know you as Ruth Purbock but you are Ruth Assel 
now. So a big changes in your life on top of all of those big wins and, and the injuries and everything. It was, uh, it's been a big year in, in 2019 for you as well on, on the personal front. Yes, you know, why Why bother just changing some bits? Why not change everything? Um, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, um, I've just come out the other side of a divorce, um, which is hence going back to my maiden name, which in a on a kind of humorous side means that these the automatic subtitles on YouTube uh, bring me up as Roof Asshole, <laughs> which is quite funny. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, I think the, there was a lot going on last year, kind of personally and um, on the kind of triathlon front. So it's, it's definitely made everything this year feel like much more of a change. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, it's, if you kind of might as well change a few things at once. Um, and it was definitely, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's obviously not that easy to get through it. But um, yeah, I've had a really good support system around me. So I think... It's just another another new thing to think about this year and kind of get used to. And you mentioned going to Kona without your um, without your family support uh, this year generally. But what have the family support been like throughout? Have they very supportive of your decision? Because it is a big decision to go from having like a high flying mm. power job in, in Lloyd's to going <laughs> full time following your passion for this sport that, you know, you're doing so well at, but yet brings a lot of injury risk. You know, were they very supportive of that decision? Um, it's quite an interesting one, actually. I think, like, yes, they are supportive, but they also find it quite odd. I think it's such an alien kind of profession to them that, that yeah, they find it quite odd. And I think, obviously, they were a bit worried about the timing with everything else going on. And, you know, is it sensible to kind of change everything at once? Um, but, yeah, like, they, they, they are very supportive and they're always very proud. Uh, they were actually, they were all out in Roth to, to watch me there, which was great you know I think my dad kind of said afterwards he's like oh you know it's so exciting like seeing where you're coming on the tracker and then trying to get to a point to see you and cheer you and so I think it was nice that they'd actually because they've come and seen quite a few 7.3s before but never like a full distance race and to be honest usually because I kind of said to them like I think it's quite a boring thing <laughs> to come and watch as a spectator on most courses because it's quite hard to to see very much of it I think it's just because it seems like such an odd thing to kind of do as a profession and clearly it's very hard to kind of make any money from it I think they probably I think like they're a bit worried about is it a kind of long-term thing can you make it a long-term thing and um you know I've kind of said to them I just want to see how the next year or two goes um and see where I can kind of get to because you know work's always going to be there and there's obviously quite a finite time as an athlete that you can actually pursue anything professionally and you know one of my decisions behind when I was going pro was that I'd got to a point that was senior enough at Lloyd's that would make it relatively easy to step away if I did step away on a proper sabbatical for it to then be able to get back in quite easily so so I feel like I'm at quite a good point career-wise to kind of take that sort of step out a little bit um although saying that you know so I still have career ambitions within Lloyd's and kind of what I might want to do with that um so that's, that's the other thing actually that I found quite tough about um kind of going pro is that it's almost trying to manage some of my ambition on that career side with Lloyd's because I don't feel like there's much I can do to progress it at the moment on my kind of two days a week it's like uh, obviously I want to still be doing a good job so it's, it's also trying to juggle in my head that right now's the time to be focused on the triathlon stuff see where you can get to with that and then the kind of Lloyd's side of stuff you can kind of come back to but yeah I think generally 
I think my parents will be kind of more supportive depending on, you know, depending on how things go. But if it all goes really well and I then start being able to be quite successful, I think then they'll kind of understand it a bit more. But it's just, yeah, I think it's a very alien concept to them trying to be a professional sports person. Do you put a lot of pressure on yourself, Ruth, to perform? You talked there about <laughs> ambition with work and ambition yeah. with triathlon. You know, does the biggest pressure come from within for, for your career and I mean, both sport and across your work with Lloyd's? Yeah, definitely. And I, but I think most people would say that um, the professional triathletes or or generally work in, in those kind of jobs. I think, you know, we're all kind of quite similar personality types. Um, and it's all, you know, I think the, the greatest pressure is probably always going to come from, from yourself. Because I think you have, uh, you know, you have those ambitions or you have those expectations of what you think you should be able to do. So, yeah, like definitely. And I think that's probably one of the things probably on the Zwift with the Zwift Academy as an example like I never actually really felt like they put much pressure on us um and actually I think they were quite good at not because a lot of people kind of assumed oh you're part of this academy do you feel the pressure because they've given you all this kit and stuff and it's like it's not because of that that I feel this pressure it's because of of me and like what I think I should be able to do so yeah definitely that's where most of the pressure comes from and how do you deal with the frustration when things go wrong <laughs> yeah because didn't you um, race didn't you race in in Australia at the end of last year after yeah. Kona <laughs> yeah. and uh, it was another oh, another <laughs> yeah well we let you explain what that race was like yeah yeah well I think in terms of like dealing with frustrations it's just one like You've, there's no point focusing on it and getting caught up in it I think you just got to look at what can you learn from it how do you move on and, and what's next because yeah I think if you started focusing on on all the things that go wrong or, or some of the frustrations then I, personally I don't think you're going to get very far yeah I made the decision to go and race Australia as my first pro race because actually like I felt pretty good after Kona I kind of I wanted to do a pro race reasonably soon after and again this is part of the kind of expectation and pressure thing so I was like then I won't feel like there's as much pressure to to have made a big step up uh because I'm effectively still a kind of age grouper like I was still working full-time at that point whereas I thought if I left it until you know at some point this year then I would have felt like enough time would have gone that I felt that I should have made massive improvements so that was part of the reason and then also I'd heard really good things about it as a race actually at the point when I was kind of thinking of signing up there weren't a huge amount of women signed up so I was like you know there's also like a tiny tiny chance that if I had a ridiculous race then I might be able to get an early Kona slot and that would obviously be really nice but generally I was like I just want to go out there go and see where the where the big focus points are that I then kind of need to keep working on before I then start racing, I guess, kind of properly uh, in 2020. Because I, I was kind of viewing it as a bit of a kind of experiment and a, let's just go and see what happens. Go and visit a nice part of the world. I kind of came back from Kona. It was a bit dreary and cold back in England. I was like, a bit of winter sun would be <laughs> quite nice. Um, but yeah, I kind of, again, I felt really good going into it. And then just a whole series of things just didn't really go very well I had a really bad swim I don't really know why like there's no reason for it I just I couldn't hang on to the group uh which I should have been able to hang on to and spent basically the whole swim I felt I dropped off the group maybe about 600 meters and then spent the rest of the swim on my own really awful uh got overtaken by some of the age group men which is very demoralizing um and also went a little bit the wrong way trying to come out so I added a little bit so like generally the swim really felt like a disaster I wasn't actually the last woman out of the swim there was one lady behind me so I was like yes okay I wasn't last because that was one of my aims to not be last out of the swim 
And then was running out of T2, went to like hop onto my bike and nearly came flying off because my back wheel was jammed. Turns out, and this is where I think the problem of having the really good support with the academy and having the bike mechanics, it's not my forte. Turns out I put the wrong tyre on my disc wheel that meant that when the hydration system was on the back of the bike, because I've been doing all my practice stuff without the hydration system, there wasn't enough clearance between the wheel and the hydration system. So it was just jammed on. So I had to let a load of air out. And at the point this has happened, this is like literally the corner that you come out of T2. It's where like the biggest crowd is. So obviously everyone's like looking at me. I'm just like, oh my God. I was like, right, don't panic. You can, you can sort this out. And obviously, I already felt like I was so far behind in terms of where everyone else was. Yeah, spent a while kind of sorting out the wheel. Basically, had to let quite a lot of air out of it. So it had just about enough clearance to to move anywhere. And then got going. And then actually, I was was having a really good time on the bike. I was catching some of the girls up. I felt like I was going really well. Then with 30k to go, and I think this is because I'd had to let quite a lot of air out. Uh, and I was running tubeless wheels. Um, I got a puncture, so I think it just lost its seal a bit. Uh, managed to fix that, you know, got had my gas, sorted it all out. So it's fine, don't panic, it's all good. And then with 15k to go, it went flat again. <sighs> Obviously had no gas, so I was like, right. And with 15k to go, I was like, I'm just going just gonna to ride it back in. Annoyingly, that was like the fastest bit of the course. But I couldn't go that fast because I had this flat tyre. Uh, and then nearly stacked it a few more times coming into T2 because there was quite a few corners and I think anyone that's tried to corner on a flat tyre knows you basically just have no control of the bike so yeah that was um, that was quite frustrating I reckon I must have lost another like 10 minutes or so just just in that last little bit but then I was like right well my running's been going really well so let's go out on the run let's try and get a marathon PB and that was all going really well. I had like a really good, it's like a four lap course. The first couple of laps going really well. I was running really well, felt good. It's on time for a really good marathon. Um, and then like halfway around the third lap, I just suddenly had this like really big twingy pain in my knee. I was like, oh, I felt like it was going to collapse. I had to like stop for a bit, stretched out a bit, started walking. And at this point, I was like, right. I mean, clearly it's not been my day. Uh, there's a few things that I've done that have been a mistake and a few other things that have just not gone very well. But I was like, there's no way that I'm going to DNF my first pro race. Like, absolutely no way. I was like, if I've got to walk the rest of this bloody marathon, I'm going to do it. But then I managed to kind of start jogging again and, and kind of got myself going and got myself back to a point where I could just jog and kind of jogged it back around. So... I actually was really happy to just finish that race um, and I ended up coming eighth which considering everything that happened I was like I'll, I'll take that that's pretty good um, so yeah like Germany was quite happy with it and I've actually you know looking back thank god I, I did a pro race considering there's now no races <laughs> but yeah but like definitely a learning curve you know it's very different racing like, it is very different racing as opposed to an age grouper. I think especially at that race, because they gave us a really good gap. I think we had a half an hour gap between the, um, the the pros and the age group men. So it did feel like the whole race, you know, there wasn't much interference. There were some 70.3 athletes that we had to kind of get past. But kind of we were generally going so much faster than them because of how they'd spaced it out. Like, the, you know, there were no kind of drafting issues or anything like that. So it did, it felt like a proper race as opposed to like a lot of the kind of age group races where you're always surrounded by people. But yeah, and then there was something so cool about lining up on the beach with like all these women that I've kind of looked up to and followed for, you know, the last kind of few years and being like, oh my God, I'm actually racing you now. <laughs> 
yeah, like it was generally a really cool experience. Um, a few frustrating things that went wrong, but I think, as I said, you know, you just got to think about the things that you can control and forget about the things that you can't. Exactly. And uh, apart from the global pandemic that's outside the door, um, yeah. are you excited about being a professional athlete now? Yeah, definitely. Like, I can't wait. And I think, you know, kind of, as I said, actually having more time to get fitter and stronger and faster is, is a good thing for me. Um, you know, my two weaknesses, the well, I think my run still, I kind of think of it as a weakness. I'm not sure it is that much, but I've just, I think I've not really managed to put together my best marathon yet. But again, I think more time with that because generally it's just that consistency of training, building that strength, etc. And then swim-wise, I'm lucky enough in that I've still been able to swim through all this. So again, I, I, I'm lucky in that I've not lost out on that. So if anything, I should be in like a, a bit of a better position than most people in that I have been able to swim. So yeah, I think I've just, I've kind of taken this time to, to try and keep working on everything. But yeah, I tell you what, I, I'm going to be so excited when I get to start, like, stand on this start line again. You mentioned there as well about lining up with athletes that you've admired and mm. been inspired by for a number of years. So is there any athlete, male or female in particular, that has inspired you um, the most or that you would look up to the most in, in what you've you've seen over the past few years? Or is that, oh, a, really, that... Is that a really unfair question? Yeah, I think like there's so many because, you know, there's people that I look up to for different reasons. Um, you know, there's quite a few that I've looked at that have made that transition from a, a I guess, like a similar kind of working pattern that I had to then being a professional athlete. You know, I guess. And then, and then there's other people that I admire for different reasons. Um, you know, I think like some people because they're just quite different to me. So actually, like in Australia was the first time that I'd kind of met Therese Adams um and she's very I guess like she doesn't really do that much on social media she's very like modest she doesn't race that much whereas I think that I like I love racing I want to do as many races as possible um but then it's like she's clearly got so good at peaking just for that race really building up to it focusing on that and absolutely smashing it and also feeling like you know she doesn't need to do all this social media stuff etc whereas I think you know I kind of feel that especially as someone trying to come into the sport almost the only thing that I can offer is stuff on social media because I guess I'm not really well especially at the moment I've not had a chance to try and really get any results so I can't do much with that um so I look quite like seeing some of those different approaches and then I guess there's people like Kim Morrison, who actually also used to work at Lloyd's, um, but went on a proper sabbatical and seeing kind of how much she's progressed and where she's managed to get to. So I think, yeah, there's like there's loads of people. Um, and then, you know, you get the other extreme of, you know, I think if I ever get a chance to stand on the start line with someone like Daniela Reef, um, <laughs> you know, she's clearly just so strong at everything. But I think most people, and I think the thing that I really like uh, was that still standing on that start line the other pros you know they were all being really encouraging they were all being really nice you know it still felt really supportive so I think I was slightly worried that maybe when you step up to that pro level because it is a competition and because it's people's living like maybe it isn't maybe it doesn't feel as friendly but definitely didn't feel that at all like everyone was you know really supportive really nice um and trying to give advice where they could so 
And one of my final questions, Ruth, is, you know, we see an awful lot more people now taking up triathlon and we want to encourage more women, especially into the sport. Mm. And I suppose not just women, but to encourage everybody into the sport that we're all so passionate about. Looking back on your age group career, and I suppose where you started out back in 2013 with that charity place for London, you know, how do you think can we encourage more people to get into triathlon Mm. in the current environment? Yeah, I guess the current environment is quite tough because actually for me like one of the main benefits I found is having that social group is going to like group training and and having that support system there which you know I think at the moment is impossible um and it's difficult to know when that might get a bit more normal again you know I think for me like one of the advantages of triathlon is that there's so many different distances that you can do. So I think from that point, it's very accessible. You know, you can do like a super sprint, you can do a sprint. And I think, again, because it's got the three different sports, you don't really have to be that good at any of them. Because a lot of, I think, a triathlon is, is actually being able to put them together. You could be a really terrible swimmer and a very average cyclist and runner, but you could kind of do all right just from being able to string it together and, and get to the end. I, I don't know anyone who's gone and done a race and come away and not be like, wow, like that atmosphere, that experience, the whole, everything around it was just brilliant because, you know, I think it is because of that diversity within it. I think you get that really supportive crowd. I think everyone kind of appreciates that because it's got three sports, it's maybe a little bit, or, you know, it can seem a bit more challenging than say just like a run event, not saying it necessarily is, but it can seem like it. So everyone seems to have that much more feeling of pride when they cross the finish line and yeah I think there's so many now that just feel like such a nice little community and I think the amount of triathlons are now trying to make it like a whole weekend event you know some of the castle events we have with the kids events as well so yeah I think it's a kind of don't feel like you need to have any of the fancy equipment to try and do it like you could turn up on your mountain bike or borrow a Boris bike or something and um but yeah, I think I'd encourage anyone to just go and give it a go because it's it's just a lot of fun. And there's so many different things you can do within it. Um, so there's there's always that variety. Well, Ruth, I'm going to uh, bring our chat to a close there because we've been talking for ages and I could keep talking for ages <laughs> yeah. uh, more. But the sunshine is out in the back garden there for you and mm. uh, time to go and catch some rays and some vitamin D. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. And I wish you every success for the future. I can't wait to see you back uh, in Kona running down that finish line and uh, who knows I could be talking to the future Ironman world champion here today thank you so much Ruth and best of luck thank you thanks for having me thanks again for tuning in I hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com try with an I not a Y connect with me on social media across Facebook Twitter LinkedIn or Instagram pop by and say hi and let me know what you think of the show Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe and thanks for tuning in.